Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hello, Abdullah. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Haider. Thanks for having me. No, it's a great pleasure. Um, you've done a lot in your life, I must say, you know, and um, you're working in your um, junior job. Uh, where was your junior job? Where were you working? Oh. So mine is quite a convoluted route. Um, so I I graduated from Imperial uh, completing medicine. I worked as an F1, F2 in Lancashire in rural Preston. Mm. Then I came back to London to continue my passion to be a surgeon. I was mm. destined to be an ENT surgeon. Mm. Um, London uh, really made me reflect on my life choices. And I decided I didn't want to be a surgeon any longer. So I started my... GP training back in Leeds. Why do you say that? Uh, What's wrong with London? What's wrong with being a surgeon? Um, I, I found I didn't have the right balance mm. I was after. Mm. Um, mm. It, it was all or nothing. Um, mm. And I think for people involved in the medical field, although, or those who are involved in surgery, or those who are involved in surgery in London will probably appreciate that it has to be all or nothing. There was always a uh, competitive environment mm. which I found unhealthy I'm mm. always keen to compete and I'm always keen to try to be the best version that I can be um, but there was definitely a lot of trying to put your fellow man down yeah. uh, which, which I didn't think was quite healthy um, that's amazing Abdullah you know it took me like I don't know 10 years to figure that one out <laughs> I was <laughs> I was too stubborn to leave that but I knew it was affecting me badly in terms of my uh, well-being so uh, props to you, mate, for sort of, yeah, deciding very, that so early. It's very, it's very toxic. It's not toxic in a bad way. I mean, it's toxic in a kind of, um, you know, it's, it's potent. You want to be this person. You want to be yeah. this character. You want to be this hot shot. Yeah. Um, and you enjoy it, um, yeah. especially, for example, I know I was making my family immensely proud. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and and the, the decision I made when I said I'm uh, I'm going to switch to GP now instead, yeah, uh, I know I, I know it upset my father. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing. And you know, for me, I think I I sort of stuck at it, being in that. Um, okay, toxic is a big word, but internal yeah. toxic internal toxicity. Let's say internal toxicity. It's not who I am. Um, yes. But I stuck at it because of my family, because of my father, particularly my mother. My mother was sort of had a massive influence in my life, and I kind of did it for her. And then I thought one day I thought, "Fuck this!" You know, I've I've had enough of this. I can't carry on. I've got to be myself, and I've got to just look elsewhere. I didn't know what to do. I mean, you know, why did you sort of leave surgery and go to GP? Because because it was a better balance. You said. Yeah, I mean, I think I've been I've been fortunate enough during. During my surgical training and before that, I, I used to work as an A&E doctor mm. a lot on the mm. side as well. Mm. Um, and I worked to a, a middle grade level. Mm. So I realized that 
it gave me the opportunity to realize that it's not just the surgery that I like doing. I, I genuinely like helping patients with all of their problems, be mm. it uh, mental health problems, be it you know simple medical problems. And the surgical side was always my calling, if you will. Mm. Um, but but I realized it's not sustainable for me. Mm. Um, and when I got married, uh, I realized I liked sp- spending more time at home with my wife than I realized. Mm. Uh, and you know, being in theater, for example, we would be doing a, I don't know, say a thyroidectomy, so an mm. operation to remove the thyroid or a part of the thyroid. And the consultant might have uh, made a complication. He might have nicked an artery. Mm. And normally as a trainee, you're meant to be absolutely buzzing. You're like, oh, this is brilliant. I'm going to see you know, how the consultant is going to get around this. I'm going to learn from this experience. Whereas my mindset was completely different. It was like, oh, we're going to be here for another few hours now because mm-hmm. we have to get around this. And I realize that's not the right attitude because to, to be a surgeon, and I have the most the most respect for people that have p- pursued mm. uh, this kind of career, is it is a true dedication. And, mm. and I suppose this kind of realization of what people go through is, is a big motivation in everything I do in, in, in medicine, how I practice it, and in, in how I approach life as well, uh, to appreciate what people have sacrificed to, to get to what, what they've got. That's an amazing self-realization. That's an amazing self-realization. No, I was a stubborn bastard. It's like I'm, I'm going to stick with this. <laughs> but I knew from 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 such an early time that yeah, surgery wasn't for me because because I love getting home, and I love just spending time with with the family and kids. And I had that constant um, nagging in 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 sort of the head and the heart. So, you know, you have to be out there on you know in the wet lab doing all these different maneuvers and procedures and so on and everyone else was was doing it and I must say you know everyone else was super dedicated and I did feel a bit guilty and sort of torn between two worlds the world of the family and the world of the work and yeah I couldn't find that balance and I was just too stubborn not to leave the profession the surgical conveyor belt early enough Um, I think maybe it's the Iraqi blood stubbornness yeah possibly. <laughs> maybe maybe you're you're a bit more iraqi than i am um right yeah I, 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 i'm both my parents are iraqi um yeah. and I, i'm proud to be iraqi of course i've got an iraqi football shirt and everything uh and i, and I used to go back to baghdad all the time when i was younger until until the war happened of course mm. uh but no i think more more so than the iraqi it's about trying to make my parents proud mm. i think it's a strong driver throughout life mm. um and when I told my dad, like, I'm going into GP, you know, like, in his, like, Iraqi broken English accent, he's like, but my son is a surgeon. Mm. I was like, yeah, dad, I still am. Like, I passed my postgraduate ex- examinations, and I want you to realize this is out of a choice. This is not out of me not, you know, reaching that bar. The, mm. the doors were open in front of me. Um, but I think I can do more with being a GP, uh, more for myself and more for my patients mm. than I'm doing being a surgeon because I think what surgery made me realize is that there's a huge disconnect between doctors and patients mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. they, they we don't fully appreciate all the things they're going through mm-hmm. and they certainly don't appreciate all the things we've gone through to be there at their service mm-hmm. you know and the amount of experiences like anecdotes I mean I'm sure you have millions of them yourself but mm. what that one that I always uh, tell people about is when I was um, so part of my surgical training I had to do uh, a, a max fax stint mm. uh, so it makes no facial surgery that they're basically half dentists 
half surgeons, they're extremely hardcore people because they've got two degrees. Mm. Um, and there was this very big surgical case where the patient's jaw and uh, upper teeth, if you will, they don't align properly. Mm. And they've been, wait- they've been wearing braces for 18 months just to get their teeth in the right position, waiting for this day of surgery to have a two-hour procedure to, to break the jaw, if you will, and align it now with how the teeth are. And we couldn't find the patient's notes. Mm. And this patient has, you know, 18 months of braces, taken time off work, planned their sick note with their recovery time coming up, all their family around their bedside, and we're there at 8 o'clock in the morning about to cancel this procedure. And what the patient doesn't realize is I was in the secretary's office climbing through mountains of notes with the anesthetist in my ear saying, have you found the notes yet or not? Because mm-hmm. we can't start. What what should have happened is obviously the uh, surgical nurses or, or the reception desk or would have already had all the notes ready in, in the uh, recovery area waiting. So every patient we're about to take the surgery, we have a look at their notes and then take them in. They couldn't find these notes. No one really bothered trying to find them in the end and just thought we'll just cancel the surgery. And what the patients don't realize is the extent we go to to make sure things happen for them. Mm. Mm. Um, so that was really you know, a, 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 a profound moment when I thought there's a complete disconnect here. It's not the idea that I, w- I want thanks for this, but it's the idea that uh, you know, these members of our NHS or, or these, these kind of teams are working that hard and that flat out um, that there's a disconnect between the patients knowing what we have to do in order for them to get what they get and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the politics and the media uh, don't help. Uh, but let's not go there. Um, <laughs> did, did that sort of uh, confirm the need to have this um, electronic or this sort of seamless approach of of having the information there for the patient and for the surgeon to to be the most efficient service out there with with, with medical chain or or, or did, did it start earlier um i i think it's not a new idea you know mm. i think you could have gone 20 30 years back and any mm. any doctor would have said to you i wish i had access to the records mm. i wish it was digitized so it's not i can't claim you know it's some some brilliance on my part um I think it's always been a frustration of mine because mm. when you meet the patient, it's not like the patient doesn't want you to know this information. Uh, and especially less so in my surgical experience, more in my A&E experience, when I'm seeing patients, I'm trying to treat them with some antibiotics and the patient will tell me, I'm allergic to something, I don't remember what it was, but my GP knows. Mm. And in my head, I'm, well, that doesn't help me. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can't see a GP's record and I'm now playing Russian roulette with which antibiotics to give you. Yeah. Now, at the same time, it's not the patient's fault. You know, mm. if, a, if a plumber came to my house and asked me, so what, you know, what's the, the millimeters of the pipes you're lo- using? Are they lead? Are they PVC? I said, look, I really don't know. You're the plumber. I'm, I'm just the, the consumer here. Yeah. And I, th- and I think it's the same with, with, with patients. So there's always been this irritation, if you will, this problem we've been trying to solve. Um, on my small scale, so before I, I made Medical Chain, um, I made a website called DischargeSummary.co.uk. Mm. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it, Haidar. Mm. Mm. I've, I've had a quick look, yeah. Yeah, I mean, essentially, it's a very simple template or pro forma, but I was trying to improve the communication between hospitals, uh, GPs, and patients, because when a patient enters a system, 
they're entering the hospital, they're given a diagnosis, they've had certain investigations, certain treatments, and then they come out the other end, and there needs to be a summary of that whole journey, which is shared with the GP, so the GP knows what to continue in terms of medications or what blood tests they should repeat, mm. and for the patient's sake to, to obviously have a, a record of what occurred there. And the standard of this discharge summary is so variable. Mm. you know. And again, I experienced this during my GP training uh, when I was in, in the cardiology rotation here in, here in Leeds, um, where somebody's had a, a panic attack or they've had a bit of acid reflux, they've come to the cardiology department and one of the junior doctors has written four pages to describe this person's anxiety, mm. uh, which is for the GP very unhelpful because they're trying to find which bit is relevant for them. And for the hospital consultant, it's very unhelpful because they don't realize, well, what were the tests and investigations? How do we get to that conclusion? And for the patient as well, they're not taking a message away from that. And then mm. on the flip side, somebody's had a very complex uh, heart attack which needed lots of intervention, and somebody's written four lines. Hmm. And the GP has no idea, you know, what we're meant to continue with and vice versa. So I made this DischargeSummary.co.uk. Um, I rolled it out in, in Leeds in the cardiology department. I then made further templates for care of the elderly, which happened in the University of Lewisham Hospital in London uh, and in Woolwich. Um, and essentially, I got approached by a pharmaceutical company. Hmm. Uh, and the pharmaceutical company said, we like what you're doing here. We can see that it's a, it's a better way of standardizing a discharge summary, which means it's easier for the GP to realize which bit they're working on, easier for the hospital consultant to um, design, you know, really make it unique for their department of what they'd expect to see in their discharge summary and good for the patient as well. We'd like to uh, purchase this from you, if you will. So I'd never had this motivation of business. I, mm. This is not the reason I did it. It was completely for free, and it was just a tool that I was trying to help other junior doctors in my position use. Um, so I spoke to my co-founder, uh, Mohamed Tayeb, um, for advice. And when I say co-founder, he wasn't my co-founder at this point. Mm -hmm. he, he, and he he's said, a friend okay, of yours. He's a friend yeah, of yours at the time. Yeah, and he's he's a very, uh, in my eyes, he's a very successful entrepreneur. He's, he started and exited many companies. He, he comes from the world of, of computing and technology mm. uh, from that background. And I said, you know, Mo, I, I did this. Uh, I think it was a good idea. I didn't see a business case here, but I'm now being approached by these guys. What do you think? Mm. And he told me, okay, what would you sell it for? Um, and I told him, to be honest with you, and I thought I was, I was aiming high. I said, 5,000 hmm. pounds? Uh, and he just burst out laughing at me. Uh, and he was like, do you know these, these pharmaceutical guys spend 5,000 pounds on domino pizzas in one day? Hmm. Like, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? Uh, and he said, is this really what you want to be doing? I told him no. And I told him the story about how many times I've seen patients let down, how many times I've felt very backed into a corner as a doctor, wanting to give something but not knowing if the patient's got an allergy to it or not, or hmm. unnecessarily repeating blood tests or a CT scan which the patient may have had recently elsewhere. So he told me, you know, we can do this. There is a way around this. Have you heard of blockchain? Mm. Um, and I'd only heard of it in the kind of Bitcoin, Ethereum, mm. these are digital currencies, cryptocurrency sense. Um, and the more we got talking, the more it became apparent that the idea of blockchain is just to uh, have data put in a way that it's distributed Mm. across many, many holders of this data, which increases its level of security, increases its audibility, 
and increases the ability to securely know that this data was entered at this point by this individual and we all agree on that as people that have access or, or, or hold one of these ledgers, if you will. And that's, that's perfect because if we think about our current system in the UK, mm. we already trust patients to hold their records. Mm. When women are pregnant, we give them their maternity records. You know, in case you, you, you're, you go into labor, wherever you are up and down the country, have these maternity records with you. Mm. In case your child is unwell, have this little red book with you to show the doctor. Mm. Now, it's, it's madness that these two systems, which are still being used today, are pen and paper. Mm. Anybody could pull some sheets out. Anybody could write in the little red book, yes, my child's had their vaccinations. Yes, my child's putting on weight when there could be neglect there. I, I can't understand why we've not digitized this. Mm. Mm. There's, there's many ways to have digitized this. Mm. Um, but I think using this kind of technology future proofs what we're doing gives it that added level of security and really delivers on the objective of empowering the patient to have access to their own information mm-hmm. and what happened next so what happened next is so mo was telling me great so are you going to quit your gp training we need to get working on this mm-hmm. you know I, I need you full time with me uh and i told him no impossible <laughs> uh I, I love being a doctor. I need to continue being a doctor, and I need to finish my training. Um, and my parents and, want me to to stay a doctor, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, that, I think that would have been the last straw for my dad. I think he would have killed me. Yeah. Uh, so, to be honest with you, it's all credit to the trainers I've had here in Leeds because mm. since the conception of the idea till its delivery, or or at least progress. I have been a full-time GP trainee, and I only finished, completed my training on Tuesday. I, wow, I, I congratulations. Ceased. Thank you very much. So I'm now a fully qualified GP. I completed the, the, the training scheme. Well done. Thank you very much. Um, but it's, it's honestly, it's all credit to my trainers because I explained to them, this is what I'm working on. This is how big it can be. The requirement probably should mean a sabbatical, or, or even leaving medicine, and I don't want to do that. Mm. And the agreement I had with every trainer that I went through was, we will fully support you, just make sure you don't drop the ball. Mm. Mm. And when we talk about the ball, you know, there's two exams in GP. I had to complete both of those exams whilst I was traveling. I was on a flight coming back from Hong Kong after delivering a presentation there, and I'm revising for my exam in the plane. Wow. You know, or I will be trying to practice, you know, our kind of like uh, OSCE exams or performance exams mm. whilst I was sat in a in a in a cafe in in Japan. <laughs> wow! So it's been a very surreal experience, um, and I am very grateful to them, and I'm very much pro this idea of treating your juniors as an adult. Amazing. Yep. Hmm. You know, I mean, I, I, I try to help out wherever I can. So, for example, next Tuesday, there's a new cohort of GPs, which are starting in Leeds, They're the, the February trainees, which are just starting now. And I, I, I've been asked to come and give them a presentation about how to uh, successfully navigate the three-year training course. Um, and it's very important for me to emphasize to them, just be an adult, respect the trainers, and the trainers you've got here in, in Leeds, GP training scheme, are fantastic as well and they will support you. You just need to have a very open dialogue with them and, and you'll make it through. Amazing, amazing. 
what were the you know the real difficulties in sort of juggling all these balls at the same time i mean the real difficulty for me was i wouldn't say having a split personality but i've been i have been flat out on the go for i'd say 2 years two and a half years straight mm-hmm. so when everyone is going home I'm going home to work on other things. When everyone's got their weekend, I'm off traveling. Uh, mm. When everyone's taking their annual leave, I am filling it with conferences and uh, business meetings and, and seeing lawyers or seeing accountants. Um, and it's that kind of going back and seeing your colleagues at work who are not part of this world. And I think you, you'll know, Haida, like doctors are not the best business people. In, mm-hmm. in, in general mm-hmm. uh, and when you try telling them about what you're doing they're a bit I wouldn't say standoffish but they can't understand why you're doing it like why are you going out of your way to try to make something for yourself why don't why are you just not in the gang with the rest of us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I always try to explain to them I am in the gang and I want to stay in the gang and you know I'm still working as a GP I, I had a clinic on Friday I've got a clinic on Monday yeah yeah you know but why can't you have it all I don't understand you just need to, you know, be very, very uh, efficient with your time. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Do you think you're going to slow down, or are you just going to keep going until something happens? Um, I think I've had a very good team around mm. me. Mm. Uh, so a very good team supporting me uh, in the office. So we we have our office in London. Mm. Uh, it's it's just off, opposite Waterloo Station. Um, mm. We've got another office in Switzerland as well. Um, and in terms of my support from my family is is unlimited. You know, they've always had wow. my back. Mm, mm. Um, and in terms of my GP practice, where I completed my training, uh, they've asked me to stay on. Um, so they've told me whatever hours I want, whatever days I want. So that's brilliant to have. That's that amazing. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. But so again, the options not... are out there. So the options are out there to do what, whatever you want, yeah. really. Yeah. Com- completely. Completely. So it's that sort of all that hard work, but in the end, you know, it it does pay off. It does pay off totally. Um, did you ever feel that there were times when you thought, no, I can't, I can't carry on with this. It's too much for me. <laughs> many, many times, <laughs> many, many times. So that, so I can give you two very good examples. One was sitting my first exam, uh, which is called AKT, which is essentially like a multiple choice exam. Um, and every time I sat the mock paper or the kind of online mock paper, I failed it mm. by a huge distance. We're talking like 10% away from the pass mark. And I failed and I failed and I failed. And my wife would keep encouraging me. And I said, look, I can't do it. Like, I, I, I'm literally, I forgot where I was traveling to. I think I was, I was in, um, I think I was in Austria, like the, the weekend before the exam. And I was just like, this is not going to, not going to pan out for me. And I was very low at that point because I didn't want, you know, my, however much I, I love medical chain, I would never sacrifice my medical career. You know, my medical career and being a doctor for me is absolutely number one. Amazing. I worked very, very hard and I love being a doctor and, that, and I've seen the difference I've made to people mm. and that's worth more than any other success elsewhere. Mm. Uh, and I don't know how, honestly, I don't know how to tell you. I'm not one of those people that tell you, oh, I'm going to fail and then I pass. Genuinely, when I fail... I fail hard. Like when I sat my <laughs> when I sat my surgical exams, I failed my surgical exams three times until I finally passed it. 
Mm. And I thought, here we go again with this AKT. And somehow the only exam I ever passed was the real one because I always <laughs> failed the mock. Yeah. Um, and then another example is where I was very ready to just say, I can't do this, is I felt I had really neglected my wife for many, many months now because of all the traveling and all the, all the doctor work that I promised her a weekend away in Dublin. Mm. Uh, she's got one of her sisters that live in Dublin. Uh, and I said, I promise you, it's your weekend. I'm doing absolutely nothing. It's fully yours. And I, and I went off to Dublin. And her her sisters are married to these other guys. And I'd, somehow we are the best of friends. So mm. all the all the, the brother-in-laws that are married to this these group of sisters, we're, we're very close to each other as well. Mm. So I, I got to Dublin. Um, and I'd only been there for about two hours, I think, since I arrived. And then I get a phone call from Mo. And he goes, right, I need you in Berlin tonight. <laughs> and I said, I said, you can't do this to me. Seriously, like, you can't. And he said, no, no, Abdullah, there's this Chinese envoy, and it's either we go to Berlin tonight to go see them, or we're flying to China to go see them. So it's your choice. So I've even come in all my, like, casual holiday gear. Like, I've not come for any kind of business meeting or anything yeah, like this. Yeah. So even even to the point, Haider, like, one of my socks had a hole in it. <laughs> and I... <laughs> And I said to I said to these guys, my, my brothers that were there, my brother-in-laws, I was like, look, can one of you sort me out with a shirt? Can somebody give me some socks? I need to get on a plane to Berlin now. And my wife obviously was very upset, but... That's an understatement. I was going to say upset is probably an understatement. <laughs> if that was my wife, she would have chopped something off me. <laughs> she just looked at me, and I think the, the, the good thing I have in my relationship with my wife is... There are no games. Um, there yeah, are no yeah. tactics. We're very open with each other. So obviously she's upset, but she just told me, is this really that important? I told her, I promise you it's important. If it wasn't, I wouldn't go. Um, you got a good so, in there, mate. You got a good in there, mate. Yeah, no, I, I know it. I know it's it's the best It's the best thing that happened to me. Um, and that's it. I, I went to Berlin. It was actually a, a very crucial meeting for us. Mm -hmm. uh, made a, it made a huge difference to our outcome. Um, and I, I made sure that I uh, I made it up to my wife in many other ways. Excellent. That that that's an amazing story, and 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 it just shows that even in in in, in the most difficult times, there's always a, a small light of hope. There's always something there that just makes you just crawl out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I hope I hope what I I I'm getting across this running theme that it wasn't me. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a it's just the the circumstances I was in and the kind mm. of people I've gathered around me in my life who have mm. helped me get to where I am. You know, they, they've not been obstacles for me, and I've been very fortunate with that uh, because I wouldn't have been able to achieve any of this stuff without everyone around me supporting me and pushing me. And my last question to you is: is is how do you develop that ability to allow other people to help you in your journey? I mean, I would like to say because. Because I'm a giver, yeah. they see how much I do for them yeah. and how much I'm there for them, then then it really becomes apparent who's there to give back to you as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that's my principle. Uh, and that's I learned that from my parents. My parents yeah. are the biggest sacrifices. You know, mm. they did everything for us as kids, not just as kids. They literally do it for the stranger in the street. Mm. Like the mm. stuff my dad does. I used to 
you know, in my immaturity, have a go at him and say, you mm. know, why are you helping this person? This person's taking advantage of you. You don't even know this guy. Mm. And my my dad is the most generous, kind, selfless person I've ever met. And I hope a little bit of that is rubbed off on me. And I try to treat people around me and strangers or my patients in the same kind of attitude or or approach that my dad treated us. Um, and I think you get rewarded back because then the good people recognize that and, and do the same for you. Amazing. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today, Abdullah. I've I've um, definitely walked away with, with, with a lot of hope for, for, for all of us um, in this world. Uh, how can people get hold of you and, and um, um, your websites and so on? Yeah, so thanks for having me, Haydar. Uh, I'm sure we could talk for hours and hours. But <laughs> your, your listeners probably only have a half an hour drive to listen to the podcast. Uh, so any, anybody can email me, uh, Abdullah at medicalchain.com. Um, anybody can find me on LinkedIn, and I'm sure you'll have my uh, yeah. details at the bottom of your post as well. And I am very much, you know, I'm happy to hear from anybody, but I'm especially happy to hear from students. So I always get emails from uh, Germany or uh, China and somebody says I'm working on this blockchain project and they have these questions somebody says I'm a medical student and I have this business idea so anybody who's a, in a student role or, or in a learning uh, mentality I, I'm very very much happy to help those people thank you so much Abdullah it's been great that's a pleasure thanks for your time Haydar Thanks for listening to this installment of the Surgical Spirit podcast. For all the latest in the world of Surgical Spirit, don't forget to follow on Twitter at The Third Eye Doc and catch me on Facebook at the page The Third Eye Doctor. You can visit the website at www.thethirdeyedoctor.co.uk for more information on the work that I do. And please send us feedback and questions and suggestions for the podcast. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. I've been Dr. Haida Al-Hakim and I'll see you next time.